Hey, I'm Russ. And I'm Steve. Growing up in the 80s, we were introduced to video games, movies, and technology that made a lasting impression on us and forever enriched our lives. I think I'm gonna cry! It's been a fascinating journey to be a part of, one that we constantly treasure. Fire! Booty! Our goal is simple. Share our magical moments of discovery and geek out with lovely folks, just like you. Uh, achievement unlocked. So if you crave pixel goodness, memorable moments, and experiences that make your inner child do the happy dance, you've come to the right place. Let's do this! Welcome to Joygasm. <laughs> yeah! starting your day or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y Baby. It's the one you say listen to the music all the time? Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. Whoa, 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 whoa. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Now, I don't think I need to give you the speech about what happens when you say no, how I can break your legs and kill everyone you love, because you already know that, don't you? Yeah. The moment you catch feelings is the moment you catch a bullet. And your uh, waitress girlfriend, she's cute. Let's keep it that way. I want us to head west and never stop. You in? I'm in, baby. Time to face the music. Baby, we need to get out of here. I have to end this. Are we in bed together now? Baby. Baby? Baby. Doc said Michael Myers. This is Mike Myers. It should be the Halloween mask. This is a Halloween mask. No, the killer dude from Halloween. Oh, you mean Jason. No! Baby, you tell me who does. She a good girl, you love her? Yes, I do. That's too bad. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Joygasm! My name is Russ, Xbox Live Toaster360, and with me, as always, is my stupendous sibling Steve, aka Xbox Live Stevevich, as we begin episode 23 on this July 8th, 
2017. If you have questions, comments, or just want to show some love, you can find us on Twitter at TV. If you need to find some content, whether it be video games, movies, or pop culture related, you can just go to your Facebook.com slash TV as a one-stop shop. We're also available on SoundCloud.com slash TV for all of your listening fixes that you need. Today, we're going to dedicate this episode of Joygasm to reviewing the movie Baby Driver. But before we put... Our pedal to the proverbial metal. How you doing, Steve? Ross, I'm doing great. Wow, it's good to hear that, Steve. Yeah. Got some sleep last night, and uh, it's always good to see you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure on this side of the table, this side of the microphone. It's always uh, fun doing these kind of podcasts, talking with you, hamming it up. Yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> Winky <laughs> wink. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Did you bring some ham? <laughs> I like ham, especially with grapefruit pollen. Oh, getting a little hungry. Mm-hmm. How so, are you doing, Russ? I am absolutely just You look tickled. chipper. I, I, I'm chipper. You know, I, I will take that. Mm-hmm. I, I will take the word that you have mm-hmm. bestowed upon me and use it. I am feeling chipper. It's Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, actually. And yeah, it's just been a, a great weekend thus far. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. As Mr. Rogers would say. And hopefully it'll be a beautiful day on Monday when everybody hears this. Absolutely. <laughs> Even if it's not a beautiful day, it will turn into a beautiful day because they are listening to the bros. So what have you been up to? What have you been playing? I know what you've been watching, at least with regards to baby dreaming. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, nothing nothing new to report, Russ. Uh, I got my daily fix of Bit Heroes. Oh, what level are you at now? I think I'm at level 57. I didn't bring the, the phone with me, but uh, the last I checked, I think I'm at level 57. Nice. Uh, let's see. So other than that, little Clash Royale. Uh-huh. The 2v2 is continuing through the month of July, so that's a good thing. Have you been pwning people? Uh, sure. Yeah, of course. We'll just go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm getting lots of loot, lots of cards, having a great time. It's funny because nice. when I, if I lose, <laughs> if, if, uh, <laughs> if that was ever a possibility, it's not so, uh, so, uh, defeating as if it's one V one for some reason, I have a better time. I, I have a better time losing two V two than I do with one V one. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. But other than that, just a little bit of more Overwatch. Although, Overwatch. Although, uh, nothing nothing to report this time. Just uh, some casual fun. Just grinding along. Grinding just, along. Just having a good old time. Yeah. I will tell you, I my my loot boxes are increasing because I'm, I'm waiting to see what the next promotion is. If it's going to be the, the July Summer Games or it's going to be something else. I'm going to try it again. I'm up to 19 loot boxes unopened. You, you know, Steve, I hate to burst your loot box. Don't bubble. do it. Don't do it, Russ. However, I feel compelled to Don't, tell you. Not, 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 uh, it's better if I tell you now uh, as opposed uh, to when the next event occurs. Uh-huh. Blizzard has put into the game mm-hmm. a stopgap, if you will, where they they timestamp each loot box that you acquire. Are you sure about that, Russ? I'm absolutely positively in a non-HIV kind of way. Yes. Uh, what they do is they timestamp the loot boxes, and this is very crafty, very clever of Blizzard, because it forces you to even play more during the event process. Great. So what happens is, is that, like, say, for instance, the next event comes up, and then you think, sweet, I'm going to open up all these loot boxes. I'll be able to get a bunch of cool skins and emotes, whatever it is you're looking for. What happens is, is that 
uh, you go to the loot boxes and there will be different classifications of loot boxes. So all the ones you're getting right now will still be like pre-event. And then like each one that you get during the event will be, of course, present event. And then any of the, of course, that you get after will be post. So yeah, I, I, I tried your approach mm. on a previous event and I thought I was beating the system. But alas, Blizzard has a lot of bright minds over there. You so. know... How many uh, loot boxes do you have? 19. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I'm going to either chalk it up to either A, I'm going to have a great time opening all these loot boxes at once, or B, I'm going to be the one person that has the glitch and I'm going to filter through, bug my way through, and I'm just going to, you know. Maybe you are the chosen one, Steve. Perhaps you are yeah. the Overwatch's Neo. Mm -hmm. You are the anomaly. Mm -hmm. You know, or here's the other thing, because the last time I tried this was with Arissa. Mm -hmm. I was wanting to get a bunch of Arissa stuff because she was the new character. Yeah. And I got nothing. Nada. And to this day, I've not received anything except for sprays for Arissa. I haven't got any emo. Oh, no. I, I received a, I received one emo emote. Since she's been out, I've received one emote, no skins, just sprays. I've noticed that you have quite a few of the icons. Yeah. I have a ton of icons. I don't have that many icons. Yeah. I was looking through because I noticed that you updated yours not too long ago. And so I was looking around and I, I mean, I'm happy with the diva little you yeah. know, maniacal bunny icon. I feel like yeah. that, that is befitting to me. But um, yeah, when it comes to just a lot of other people who I see playing, they'll be able to update their icons and they have several icons that I have yet to achieve or acquire. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just kind of the luck of the draw or what, but at least you have that going for you. <laughs> I have a slew of player icons I can choose from. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> Lucky me. And of course, since you've been having all those loot boxes saved up, you might as well just keep saving them until the next event anyway. That's what I'm going to do. Because like you said, you never know. You never I, know. I will remain positive on your behalf. Oh, you're such a positive, bright guy, Rush. I am. That's what I love about you. To a fault, I would say, sometimes. <laughs> Luckily, my wife is more of a realist, so she was able to pull my head back down from the clouds and rainbows. Life is not positive, Russ. Yeah. Get down here and she gives you a little nugget. Get back down here to reality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's good. We balance each other out like that. You know, I'm, I'm able to lift her up. She's able to bring me down. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> Where's the edit button on this? Uh, Have you been playing anything else or watching anything else? Love you, Russia's wife. I think you're a great person. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'll be it. That's me. it for you. What about you? So I decided to take a bit of a break mm -hmm. from... Overwatch. About time. As well as Injustice 2. It's about time for that too, Rich. I would I decided to go back into the rise of, of the Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if it's Rise of Tomb Raider or the ri Rise of... I think I'm going to go with Rise of the Tomb Raider. It's I just Tomb Raider, Rise of the... It's something. <laughs> it's one of... You know, depending on like what language you're speaking anyway, some of those things can be switched around. So, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I just got back into it, and it's great because now I have two video games, one on the PS4 and one on the Xbox One, that has a heroine with there you go. archer abilities and being able to do stealth-like moves, and so I'm a happy camper. I, it was one of those games, like, I started out strong. I'm a huge fan of the series. I especially love the, the game before it, um, but... For whatever reason, once again, it's just sounding like a broken record. I think either life happened or there were other games that came out, and, and it just got lost yeah. temporarily. But now I'm back into it, 
having fun with uh, just where I'm at. I, the game is really well done. I mean, it's a bit dated now because right. it came out a little while ago. Hey, good games are good games. Exactly. The one weakness in the Tomb Raider games that I've always had, and this goes all the way back to just when the first Tomb Raider game for the PC came out, was um, I never find the villains captivating. And this is just maybe a personal True. thing for me, but like I, I love Lara Croft as a character. I, and I really do appreciate like kind of the journey that they've put her on, especially with the last couple of games. And I love the locales. I think the locales are, are just real fun to be able to go adventuring, kind of as a feet like a hot female version of an Indiana Jones. Sure. That's fine. Uh, but the villains, I, I just feel like they, they need to go back to the drawing board and come up with something that's a bit more memorable because they all just kind of blend together for right. me. Yeah. So I don't know if everybody else feels that way or not, but that's just kind of a, just a critique I have of the game. But I mean, that, that is a very small slim pickings uh, to an otherwise just fun game. It's yeah. just, just real fun to play. So I've been playing that. I also today, I started Unravel. And I don't know if you've seen this game or heard of it, but I think I think it originally came out for the PlayStation first, and then it made its way onto Xbox Live. It's an indie game, as far as I know. Uh, it took them about two and a half years to complete. Mm-hmm. But it's just this really cool 2.5D side-scroller of a game. And the, the character... Um, I. I had the name of the character and I just lost it. So I apologize. But um, the character is basically like this, like ball of yarn, but it's not in the shape of a ball. It's Uh, actually, it it like, like kind of weaves itself into like this really cute looking red character with white eyeballs. I think I've seen that one. Um, I, I noticed that the reviews gave it a lot of critical praise. And so I was always like kind of a, game in the back burner that I wanted to get and I I bought it a while ago I just didn't didn't start playing it and so I I was just like you know what and my daughter was up here and so I was thinking well what can I play that she'll like and she loved it by the way she loved watching it and the game itself is a smartly designed game it's kind of in that same vein as Limbo and Inside in the the sense that there are certain types of uh, brain teases and different gameplay elements that really cause you to have to figure out how to move past a certain part. And once you figure it out, you're like, oh, wow, that was really clever. And then yeah. you, it, it you know, motivates you to want to keep going on. So I'm not too far into it, but it is um, just a heartwarming, heartwarming <laughs> game. They put a lot of, you can tell, I think a lot of the the folks who are involved with the project are people who are, there, who are family people. People who just love yarn. Yeah, <laughs> people have this weird fixation with yarn. I don't get this. No, but it was it, it actually had some Pixar elements to it in that regard with re, with just the, how the story was making an emphasis on as you're playing through levels, you, you will see these certain child memories that are going on and he encapsulates them mm. into the yarn. And I, I have a feeling because it's the, the, the game starts out showing this old woman in her house and she's by herself and uh, she uh, she has this basket of different types of colored yarn and the red one of the balls falls out, falls down the stairs and that's kind of how you get created in a way. But I have a feeling that there's a lot to it in terms of just the, the, the yarn kind of acting as this visual metaphor of just life, like your lifespan. And just as you go along this, this you know, string of yarn, so to speak, um, 
you just see these different types of, of chapters in your life that have transpired and what goes on. And I think it's, it's almost kind of going back through this old woman's life showing back when she was younger, showing like her children playing in like tree forts and playing through the yard and that sort of thing. Like I said, I haven't gotten too far into it, but it's super fun. Like just the, the gameplay mechanics where you have to utilize your yarn. Like he can only go so far before he starts running out of yarn. And and as a result, his body gets unraveled. And so you constantly have to be on the lookout for (laughs) um, more bundles of yarn, so to speak. Yeah. And like you can use it to like lasso yourself up to like a tree branch and climb up it or shimmy down. You can tie off a piece of your yarn, which is basically a part of you to like one. It could be like like a a rake in the yard and then the other side can be tied on to um, some children's toy. And then you can use that to to bounce up and down like a um, trampoline almost Mm. to get to places you didn't think were possible. So they have a lot of those, those different things in place that, that force you to think, okay, how can I take advantage of the yarn? But at the same time, don't waste it. Cause if, because there are times when you'll be a little too frivolous with it and suddenly you can't go any farther in the level you've run out. Yeah. And there are times when you can't even backtrack to, to like reclaim some of your yarn. Sometimes you can. You can you can reclaim some of your yarn. Sometimes you can't. And they actually have on the D-pad, you have to hold down on the down portion of the D-pad. And it will restart that particular section if you find yourself in a bind like that. Yeah. So really it, digging it. It almost sounds like it should be like a mobile game. You know, it could <clears throat> very well be a mobile game. I could I could definitely see that. The nice thing about the way that they have set it up is that he's this tiny character. And so as a result, the world that he exists in is done through kind of a macro lens. So all the blades of grass are super tall and there, there's a shallow depth of field. You could see little animals scurrying through the lawn. Like like we, I saw a hedgehog go by at one point or like there was a bird that was landing and getting a worm or something. And it was just <laughs> cool because it, it gave yeah. you that little point of view And it made you appreciate some of those little things. I think almost like how a child appreciates a lot of these things and and causes you as a parent to just slow down to smell the roses and just rediscover a lot of things that you, of course, already are well-versed in. But it's just being able to see it through that I I just thought was a a novel approach to the, the gaming. So that is what I... Well, and of course, the wife and I watched more Vikings last night. There's a lot going on. In uh, season four, part two, I think we got to about episode four or five, but just a lot of moving and shaking going on. Like I said before, many times, I'm not going to tell you what's happening because uh, it's too new. Don't want to spoil it for anybody. And also, I want you to watch it. Yeah, sure. Because I'm curious to see what you think. By the by, I have to make a correction on the previous episode. Yes, you do. We... I think... (laughs) When you were talking about how you watched the Warcraft movie, I said that the actor who plays Jax in Sons of Anarchy was the main actor. I was wrong. Knew it, Russ. I was wrong. I apologize for that. The um, the actor is actually from uh, Vikings. He the main the main Ah. actor from Vikings, and so. Um, definitely apologize for that. Want to make sure we can remain as accurate as possible Mm. on the show. Accurate and acute. Exactly. <laughs> and I have no qualms about apologizing on things that are a bit of an, uh-oh, a little bit of an oopsie-daisy on the hey, show. when you're right, you're right. When you're wrong, you're wrong. I like to be transparent, you know? Yeah, no one's perfect, Russ. Well, I think without further delay, we should just dive right into Baby Driver. What do you think? Let's get up on it. All right. 
So we are going to begin by giving both of our high-level impressions of the film. And then afterwards, we're going to drill down into the following categories. Casting slash acting, plot, script, and the kind of more of the dialogue sense, cinematography, and finally soundtrack. And then once we're done with that, then I've also accumulated some fun trivia afterwards. So that way, you know, if you guys are curious about kind of little things here and there that perhaps you didn't know about the film, it's going to be a little joy for the ears. So non-spoilers first, then definitely spoilers later. Yeah. So we at high level, we won't have any spoilers. We're just going to keep it just very broad stroke. You know, just, just if did we like the film? Did we not like the film? Maybe yeah. some things here and there, but we're not going to reveal any plot points. We're not going to do anything like that. And then we'll probably uh, give you guys the opportunity who have not seen the film and don't want to hear the spoilers to be able to jump off without freaking out as we continue on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> turn it off! Turn it off! Don't hear it! Uh, it's like the one time when you're trying to like actually get your phone to respond to your, your tapping and it's just not working and you start freaking out. So don't worry. Don't worry. We'll give you ample time to be able to shut it off before then. So Steve, let's start with you. Just starting out from uh, the very highest of the high level. Um, did you like the movie or not? Uh, yeah, I, I liked the movie. I think uh, overall I'd give it a, a solid B, B plus. Okay. Um, I, I will have to start off with saying this, that... Um, when we played the trailer initially mm-hmm. on the show, I was like, you know, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Pass, you, were, you were pretty dismissive. Yeah. I remember you saying how you thought it'd yeah, be cool no. for a 13 year old. Do you, do you retract that statement, Steve? Well, yes and no. Let me tell you why, Russ. Oh, I would love to hear it. I love trailers, but there's sometimes when the, when the trailer either a plays all the good parts of the movie mm-hmm. or B doesn't do the movie justice. And this was B like mm-hmm. I, to me, it did not do the movie justice at all. Mm-hmm. I went back. I looked at the trailer even before we played it again. I watched it a few times last night. I'm thinking, man, I still feel the same way I felt when I watched it initially. But uh-huh. after the movie, I'm thinking I had, I mean, I had a great time watching the movie. This yeah. is, it's entertaining. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I think some people saw the trailer and they thought they would watch it. I think some people may have probably felt like I felt perhaps and thought I'm going to pass on that one. And I'm here to tell you, don't pass on this one. Yeah. I actually think that that's a really astute observation because, um, even going through the trailers of baby driver, I I had the same kind of notion that, that most of the trailers did not do the movie justice at all. In fact, the, the the one that we played at the beginning of, of this episode was one of the better ones. It was the ones yeah. I felt like it captured more of the soul of the film. Yeah. And I actually, yeah, I, I, it's so important from a marketing perspective. Um, for those of you that don't, don't know, I do um, a lot of motion graphics design, a lot of video production work. And so this is the stuff I just really get a kick out of analyzing. But um, looking at what they did with this film it's so important to try and capture that. And sometimes you'll have the opposite effect occur where the, the marketing guys will do this fantastic job with the trailer. It gets you pumped to see the film. And then when you go to the film, you realize the film is not yeah. as good as the trailer. <laughs> like it was actually just a fantastic job that the people at the, the agency did. Um, so it's, it, it goes back and forth, but yeah, I, I agree. I think in, in this case, 90% of the trailers for baby driver, uh, we're just, it didn't do the film itself justice, which, you know, it says a lot in terms of the word of mouth because yeah. this film, I think through it flew under the radar 
for both of us. And it wasn't really until I was looking at certain reviews and I actually had a couple of friends who had seen it who were saying, yeah, you need to see it. This is really good. And, and I think that's what's occurring with yeah. this film is that as more and more people see it, they realize, whoa, this is actually, this, this, is, a, this is a must-see yeah. film. It's been out for about a week, right? A little over a week. Yeah, so it's funny because uh, your friends told you about it. My friends told me about it. I'm like, <sighs> I guess I'll go see it. I'm dragging my feet. And then in the theater, I was having a ball. And then like, the sun was brighter when I got out of the theater. Oh, this is a great day. Yeah. You know? Um, one more thing about the trailer, too. Uh, it, to me, at least, I'm speaking from my own observations here, right? It looked like the film was going to be some sort of action comedy-ish. Uh-huh. And I didn't see it as an action comedy. I saw, I mean, there, there were some, definitely some comedic elements and definitely funny parts for like, were, were a chuckle, but it, definitely I wouldn't put this film in an action comedy. This was more like, it's like uh, action romance, action romance, action thriller, you know, yeah. stylish action thriller with some yeah. funny moments. I mean, so, um, but yeah. When I think about the, the media that was produced in order to drum up hype for the film, the one thing that did catch my eye was the movie poster. It has um, kind of a throwback to almost like the 60s and 70s style where, where it's kind of that illustrated um, stylized realism to it, uh, which is one of the things that I always dig. I always have loved that kind of approach to, to, to movie posters. And so you have this cool compilation of the different characters and the, and the composition is really cool the way they're all laid out. And um, even the, the colors that they use, they use a lot of more of the... Um, pink hues and the white with a little bit of um, perhaps a little bit of lavender in there too. So it's, it's pretty, you know, it's actually a not, not exactly the same, but it's, it's within the same vein as almost the uh, joygasm colors. Indeed. I mean, we have blue and more of like a uh, kind of a dark magenta color to it, but um, the other, I can't, it's a rather dark Cabernet. Wafting, 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 let's see, uh, a wafting, lovely aftertaste, uh, aftertaste of peaches, and, a little uh, fruity, but yeah, uh, some prunes and maybe uh, strong finish, maybe brewed at seven forty-five in the I'm morning, not exactly sure, maybe eight o'clock, mm. yes, French oak, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that I did I never did, gets old. I did, I did appreciate uh, <laughs> the movie poster approach. I thought that was super cool. I'm, I'm actually thinking about possibly getting because they they have a, a few different variations. There's the one I told you about that was kind of like the the official movie poster. The teaser one is much more clever in the sense where like it, you see a handgun and you see the smoke coming out from the barrel as if a bullet's been shot. And if you look at where you think that the bullet is, it's actually a car. Yeah, and, and the smoke—it's like this white smoke. But the white smoke—if you look more closely—have um, they take on a shape as looking more like a waveform uh, from like a song? Mm. So it's pretty cool. And then the rest of it is, has kind of this grungy texture to it, yeah. and it's got some some pink and, and that sort of thing. So, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. If I was to paint like an illustration for people, how this movie kind of is, mm-hmm. I would say Guardians of the Galaxy mixed with the Transporter. Okay. A little bit, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Transporter. So there was the transporter. That was the Jason Statham? Yeah. I, okay, yeah. that was what it yeah, was called. Yeah, we were looking, thinking about it last time, and I thought, uh, I'm going to yeah. look it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you uh, you looked at that, that up. That was actually a fun movie, too. Oh, yeah. Transporter 1. For yeah. sure, Transporter 1. Man. Yeah. Love me some Jason Statham. Indeed. So what else did you think? High-level thoughts? Um, Let's see. I mean, I, it, it's been a good time. Or a good time. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's, it's been a, a good while uh, since I've seen like a decent driving flick. I right. mean, uh, you know, there's, of course, in the trailer, you know, there's gonna be a bunch of driving. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a car guy. So yeah. I, I don't I don't need to see like, you know, $2 million cars to have a good driving flick. I just need to see some good driving. Sure. And it's about time. I mean, there was, there was some good driving in, in uh, like John Wick, I think with the last one I saw, but yeah, um, this one definitely had more memorable driving moments in it. Mm-hmm. So um, that appealed to the man. Well, it was pretty cool too. Just bouncing off your point there. There <laughs> are the boing, boing. <laughs> using my yarn to uh, trampoline off that. Um, I thought that, you made a, an interesting observation there where there are more films. There's a, there's a bit of a trend going on that kind of harkened to that more raw driving, um, non CG. Yeah. You know more more practical effect, anti-hero, but yet the hero yeah. kind of thing. I, I'm digging it. I think it, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a nice change of pace, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, that actually, that, that was where, um, that was where my, my thought ended on that. Russ. Oh. Did you have any other thoughts about, uh, the high level impressions, Steve. Uh, you know, I think it just uh, it, it had a good time with itself without taking itself too seriously, and I think that's important for entertainment. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. So yeah. For me, um, I have to give credit to Jonathan Amos and Paul uh, Maclis for the razor sharp editing style that they did for the film. If for those of you who have who have seen it, you guys and girls know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who haven't seen the film. That's one of the strongest suits of the of the film overall is just the the sheer amount of editing that went into it that corresponded with the music and what was going on. Um, that was certainly something we'll talk more about later on, but kudos to them for that. Um, I totally agree. The movie is one of the best thrill rides of the year, let alone recent memory. I, I think sure. I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think John Wick two chapter two earlier this year was again had some some good driving. Although I don't remember them there being too much driving. I remember the intro had that right. awesome driving sequence. Yeah, for but sure. John Wick one did. John. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And First I saw John those. Wick, yeah. I saw those back to back. Obviously, you introduced me to it, so that I kind of kind of put them both together. Sure, sure. Them. But yeah, I, I think it, it's it just it, it's absolutely a thrill ride of, of a show, and it was just a good time, like you said. It, it had a lot going for it in terms of just the the pacing of it and and that sort of thing. But um, the acting was down to earth, yet had an undercurrent of the sensational. I thought that was kind of cool. Like each one of the characters that that you were introduced to, it wasn't over the top. It no. was, it was definitely like oh wow, like I could I could see this person, this, this character existing. Um, true to form, but at the same time, like there was like just a bit of, like I said, the, the only word I can think of was like just sensational. That's just kind of going on underneath, but it wasn't overplayed. And I, I thought that was fun. Love the cast. We'll get into that, that later yeah. on, but the, the cast I thought was, was just every person fit their role perfectly. Yeah. I would not have switched out anybody uh, for anything. No, not at all. Um, loved how the movie ended. We won't talk about how the movie ended right now, but that was, I definitely think is, is worth mentioning is that there have been a few movies that we've gone to see that the ending was just kind of okay or, or it was subpar. It was passable, but it was, it just left me feeling not entirely satisfied. Yeah. This film, the ending of this movie totally left me leaving the theater grinning. I'm like, yeah, I like that ending. I have a couple thoughts about that, but yeah, a little bit, Russ. Okay, that's perfectly fine. 
Uh, let's see what else on my notes here. This movie could easily have fallen into the trap of the quote, been there, done that stigma that often gets branded to this type of genre. Yeah. But baby driver steers clear of it. No pun intended. Or maybe it was (laughs) (laughs) steers clear with burning tires. Yeah. Uh, but basically due to it largely being, um, aware of, of the smart and, um, how do I say this? I think, I think it steers clear of it largely to the smart wit and flair. Thanks to the creative minds of, of, well, really it's, it's mainly just Edgar Wright. I mean, he was the visionary behind this. You know, he, he actually both directed the film and wrote the script. That's cool. Yeah. I, I always think that's super cool. You don't see that too often. Like, you know, Quentin Tarantino is another director who tends to, just write all of his scripts and then yeah. direct it. And you can tell you it can is tell, yeah. when you quintessentially watch it, Quentin sure. Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's kind of important for a director to do that though, because he has the, everything that he sees, you know, or everything that he's seen the film to be, yeah. he knows how to direct. And that's, I think that's, that goes to, uh, what's his name again? The director of this film, Edgar, Ed, Wright. Edgar Wright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the Edgar part. I just didn't know what his was Edgar wrong. Yeah. No. Edgar wrong. Edgar Wright. Edgar. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. And, uh, you are right. Yeah. So, but I mean, if somebody else writes the script, they kind of have an idea of how they want things to be said or things to be done or whatever, whatever. Yeah. And if the director does both, I mean, yeah, that you get more of a pure flick, I think. Yeah. The final thought I have for the high level is that the driving sequences were fun um, and even exhilarating at times, yeah. but I found myself wanting more. And it's, I don't know if that's just me being greedy as a viewer, but like, I felt like there, there just needed to be one or maybe two more driving sequences that had some, just some, some craziness to it. Just, just some, some just epic climax of driving prowess. And I just felt like it wasn't quite there, but again, that is more of a nitpick. It's something that would just be a nice to have, but I didn't feel was a detriment to the overall experience. Yeah, no, I, I, I could, I sense that too. I mean, being critical. Um, I mean, I don't know if I wanted a more driving sequence or I wanted them to be just a tad bit more over the top or sensational, yeah. Yeah. but that's the thing. I didn't want it over sensational. Right. I just wanted just a tad bit more of what they gave us. You know, I wanted a little bit more. Yeah. Like I said, just if they had one more like heist or yeah. one more driving sequence yeah. that, that really just showcased baby's prowess, but yeah. just doing things. Cause like there were moments like that in the film where you're like, yeah. Whoa, oh yeah, that's like what maybe, I'm talking maybe, about. Maybe towards the end. Sure. Yeah. 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 That would, that would be cool. Well, before we get into the spoiler version, I do believe we'll give folks a little time to be able to make some uh, decisions of what they want to do. We're going to go up a level here in the elevator. Which floor are you off at, Rob? You know, uh, typically I go off of floor number 13, which is typically an unlucky number, but it's always been lucky for me. Yeah, I'm more of the uh, level seven. You know, I get a little bit of a scenic... Little scenic uh, floor. Lucky uh, number seven. Lucky number seven. Mm-hmm. The pools, I think, is, uh, is up top, Russ. It's one of those uh, Infinity Skyline pools, you know? Maybe we should go to the top, take a little swim on this hot day. It's a good thing I brought my banana hammock. Grout! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Thank you. If you don't mind, I'm going to push all of the buttons on our way up, just so we can stop <laughs> at every floor. It's a... An, a Obsessive compulsive behavior that I have. What's wrong with this elevator? It's going on every stop. When's this thing gonna come down? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> just glares at me. Everybody starts taking the stairs. Everybody loses like five pounds in a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on level 64. Oh, I hate you. 
I think that's probably enough time for folks to decide whether or not they want to continue with this episode. Mm-hmm. Let's jump right into it, Russell. Okay, well, here we go. I believe our floors have arrived. They have indeed. So let's start off with the cast. And we can talk about both the cast as well as their acting chops. Sure, right. I will start us off. I thought, well, like I mentioned earlier, the acting was down to earth and fluid. I thought everybody was cast perfectly. I enjoyed the complex relationships um, each character had with the protagonist. So I have some notes here I'll just share with you. Um, looking at Jamie Foxx, he, he was definitely the streetwise thug who sizes up baby and the situations that are around him. John Hamm uh, was, I felt like he was almost like a glimpse into the future of what baby might be like. Should he stay on this path? You know, cause he, he was a driver that he talked about early on. That, that's what he used to do. Sure. And then he also had his love interest that was there and they were definitely into each other. And I could just, I don't know, by, by the time the film ended, I thought, well, this is something that I, I could, I could see that if, if, if I were baby, I would be looking at just that relationship and especially um, where the, the film ended up. That's just something that uh, I thought was worth mentioning. Kevin Spacey, I felt represented kind of a twisted father figure to baby since his parents died so early on in his childhood. You know, he didn't have anyone else, but, but he had been obviously working for this guy for so long. There was a bit of that. What'd you think of that? Um, I mean, well, Ke- I, I liked Kevin Spacey. Uh, you know, I started thinking of him in, um, what's that, that financial movie about the Lehman brothers, uh, Oh, oh, uh, it's a phenomenal, good, phenomenally good film. What is that? Uh, oh, it's not Lehman Brothers, but it was around the. It, it dealt with the 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 stock financial crisis. The, yeah, yeah, financial crisis. That is so funny. It's it, that's one of my favorite films. From, yeah. Um. I'll, I'll look it up. It's not House of No. No, it's. I was thinking Market Watch, but it's not Market Watch. <laughs> um. Oh my gosh, I'm tr- I'm totally yeah having a brain fart right now. That is so funny. No, I'll look it up in a minute, but um. Anyway, I, I saw Kevin Spacey at first being that character uh-huh. because I'm used to seeing Kevin Spacey in that movie because I've watched it quite a few times and he's really good in that movie. And then I've watched a plethora of episodes of House of Cards, just binge watched. So I'm used to him being the financial guy and then the devious president, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, and so this time when I when he came on screen, I thought uh, he's going back to the financial guy, but he didn't. He That's didn't, right. He did you not. Know? And he still had this very commanding presence. Uh but and and he like he 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 like demanded authority in, uh-huh. in a way that Kevin Spacey can, which is not over the top. It's very subtle but very stern. Right. Um, margin call. Margin call. That's what it was. Awesome movie. Oh, that's a good movie. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a businessy movie. You know, if anybody hasn't seen it, but I mean, I just, oh, oh, it's terrific. Eh. Yeah, you guys got to check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, I did. Uh, I did like the relationship between um, him or. Kevin Spacey, uh, Doc was his name. Doc, or his code name. Right. Doc and Baby. Yeah, I, I'm using the actor's names just because it it, it gets kind of hard to understand right. who's who. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Doc was, yeah. was the, the, the character. I name. did like how he stuck up for Baby. Yes. He had a very pragmatic approach to the heists that yeah. were going on. 
And he just, he kept law and order. He, he was yeah. a law and order guy. He was the one who wanted these plans to, well, he conceived the plans and, and that reminds me going back to one of the funny episodes, uh, funny parts of the film. I just loved how he was talking with, I think it was Jamie Foxx. Yeah. <laughs> and he was drawing up the map on the chalkboard and I was buddy. Buddy, yeah, he was just like, <laughs> yeah, "Oh thinking, my gosh, I just totally drew this map while talking to you, like, with, like with chalk, yeah, yeah multitask." I was thinking <laughs> that same exact was a good scene. Um, anyway, I thought Lily James represents um, innocence in the film, which that was in in the film itself. She was pretty much the only innocent thing out of everybody. I mean, there there were other characters, I suppose, if we want to, you know split hairs here. Of course you had like the, the post office worker, you know, she was more of an innocent and that sort of thing. But as an overarching character that, that made a huger impact on yeah. baby, I think that, uh, that's what Lily represented. I did like, uh, I'm trying to think of his name. I looked at it last night. The character who was baby. Uh, uh-huh. I think either a, he was cast very well because he had, he had a very young his name's Ansel, I believe. Uh, Ansel. Yeah. Something like that. Um, you know, he, I identified with him. I, I, you did? Yeah, I did. Oh, I do tell. Um, I mean, in, in my younger days, um, I was a very quiet guy. I was Ansel Elgort is his name. Ansel. So, you know, obviously minus the driving because, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're not uh, as good as that? What's wrong with you, Steve? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm good, just not that good. Mm-hmm. So I, back in the day, I was a very quiet guy. I was very observant. I was very shy. Uh, I didn't, I just wasn't very talkative. Wasn't Did you very wear 60s inspired sunglasses, Steve? Uh, no, mm. but I I have been told I used to wear some very you know, old school, but tasteful attire. I see. Uh, but I, I like the way he just interacted with it, with everybody. He was very compassionate. And, uh-huh. he, and he also did have some innocence to him for, you know, he wasn't, uh-huh. he was part of this whole thing because he was drug into it since of the debt he owed uh, Doc. Right. But that's not to say he wanted to do it by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tried to save lives in a way, um, you know, directly or maybe indirectly. Um, you saw he, he had conflict because yeah. he, he had gotten in with the wrong crowd. And yeah. actually he even made decisions before he met Doc. I mean, Doc met him stealing his stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was like just this completely innocent character in his world. He actually made some poor decisions, which was a direct result of the fact that his parents had a dysfunctional relationship. And also just that the fact that they died so soon, he was not able to have the rearing of his parents. And so, yeah, I mean, a kid has to get by and does certain things that uh, will get them into more trouble. Um, You know, I I liked, I think he was probably the most authentic character out of all of them, which was baby hmm. Be, uh, the, the scenes with him when his foster uh, parent. Yeah. I, I really like those scenes. Yeah. Um, I think I have some stuff in there. I, um, I don't know if I think I, I think I have uh, some stuff for that for the plot. That right. We talk about. So, and, but I mean, even with, uh, even with babies, uh, yeah. And I, I was going to get in that too. <laughs> I was going to wait till yeah. you get to the plot. But I also thought, you know, the way that he, uh, he was doing some recordings. Uh-huh. I thought that was an, awesome touch to the, to the movie. That really was, you know, um, man, I, I, I liked how, I don't know about how much of a plot. Yeah. I'll wait till the, we do the plot till I go further with that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, John Hamm, 
Uh, uh-huh. I, I like me some John Hamm from yeah. all the Mad Men episodes. Right? I, I think, thought that you'd recognize yeah, him. Yeah, for sure. And I think this was good for him to do this movie because yes. uh, I think every, a lot of folks who watch Mad Men are going to typecast him as being Don Draper. Yeah. So him being the opposite Don Draper, you know, being a thug, but mm-hmm. a caring thug at the same time. Um, I think was was good for him to to do to kind of branch out a bit. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Isa Gonzalez also has an almost older sister relationship to Baby. She's the love interest to John Hamm's character. Yeah, and I thought she did a, a fabulous job too. You know, she's got that kind of sultry, badass chick. Yeah, vibe going about her, and and, and you could tell they had the the passionate relationship thing sure. going on, and so. Um, I have not seen her in anything else. I don't know if you have. No. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, you mentioned you like Jamie Foxx's character. I liked all the characters. I thought I, I was a little bit conflicted with Jamie Foxx. Okay. Uh, or buddy. Because I, I think, I mean, in, in, in a certain respect, he was smooth. Mm-hmm. And in certain respects, you know, obviously he, we had to acknowledge him as the major bad guy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't Doc being the major bad guy, even though he was the major player in the movie. It was Jamie Foxx. Um, well, I think that you had, that, that was kind of one of the qualities of the film was that you have this unpredictability with every character that you came across. I thought that that was one of the cool aspects of the film was that it wasn't just, oh, here is the team that you're going to be watching the entire film. Yeah. You actually saw characters coming and going. And so all of a sudden, it, it, I don't know about you, but it, as a viewer, it kept me off balance constantly because just when I was getting used to one of the characters, like the um, the Asian character, you know, suddenly he gets off. You're like, whoa, okay, he's yeah. done with. Now there's some other people coming in, and I, I just appreciate that. But anyway, continue. Now, yeah, I I just I I wanted um, I wanted more depth with him. I I thought we got we we got it we got enough that he was evil and he was a bad guy and he was like and he's been through enough terrible situations that have hardened him into the bad guy and he mm-hmm. just sees the world as a dark place. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see too much of his past. And we, we saw that conversation within the diner, for example, that, you know, he had uh, John Hamm's character made. Like, he knew where he came from. And and, the, and him looking at back at him, those the knives in his eyes mm-hmm. and everything, I was like, oh, boy. But then we didn't get the, the reciprocal from that. Like, I think uh, John Hamm's, uh, what, what's the girl's name? His wife in the movie? I don't remember the character's name, but um, her... The actress's name is, is Isa, I believe is how you say it. Anyway, right? Isa tries to, to, to try and... Dude, Isa or Isa, it's one of those two. It's, she tries to throw it back at, at Fox, and and he appreciates uh, the effort, but, I mean, we still don't see anything where he came from. Um, but I think they did that intentionally, though. Yeah, I just wanted more. You know, I wanted more to that to that character. I had another thought. I just forgot what it was, though. I have to look at my notes. I had another one more thought about... Uh, Jimmy Fox's character. Yeah, I think that w- what was cool about the film was uh, when you first meet him, of course, he's he's putting on that tough front. You know, like He's just being a thug and everything else. And then as they perform their first heist, you can tell that he is giving Baby a, sh- a chance. Yeah. He's not being this hard ass that he, he was initially because he could tell that Kevin Spacey obviously has worked with this guy. He, he, like he even said this is the one person I've repeatedly done business with. Right. He knows how to, how to do his job well. And so I think you saw a bit of a character arc with Jamie Foxx where he's, 
he's giving this this kid a chance because he realizes that this kid is younger than the rest of the crew, right. and he does have some driving chops. You know, when when they get to the the place where they're gonna get the weapons, sure, he's definitely treating him a certain way. And it's really not until they get to the diner where suddenly. Jamie Foxx realizes that baby's not being straight with him. Yeah. And then so naturally the walls go back up and he doesn't trust him anymore and that sort of thing. And especially when, when baby tries to, to ditch everybody yeah. that just really well, kicks it course. into high gear. And yeah. at that point, all trust is out the door. But that, that's what I was, what was um, I thought was, was left me there. The diner scene. So mm-hmm. here you have this heist. There are these heists that are, strategized and constructed and trying to not leave any rock uncovered and, and whatnot. And they're trying to get in, get out with as, as um, well, not being noticed, you know, or at least amount of notice that you, they can, you can get. And then Jamie Foxx goes up and was about to off the waitress just because she said something to him about leaving, uh, you know, some feedback that uh, right. on the diner. I'm like, that's, that's not an end character. These guys just don't off people just because they're not from the Sopranos. Well, I think he may have off the person from the quick mart. If you recall, they had to stop off at the gas station to get something. And then he grabbed a bunch of stuff and then they had to tear out of there. And I think it was because he may have shot the clerk there. I think yeah. that's kind of one of his MOs. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, I remember that scene. I just didn't think it, it, it fit the movie because I mean, all they did get was, was coffee and then she didn't do anything to hurt anybody. They were just going to pay and walk out. And this is already after the heist too. Like they're trying to, you know, not be noticed. And uh, he was just going to take his magnum, no silencer whatsoever. And boom. And I just like, what? I don't think so. Well, I think he could also tell that something wasn't stirring the Kool-Aid with that character. I think that he, he could tell that she was just nervous and suspicious and that sort of thing. And I, I mean, you're looking at it from, from your point of view yeah. as a non-criminal. I think that when you're on the street that you develop something there that is almost a sixth sense. And plus it just plays into the fact that he's a ruthless character. That That's part of what makes his character unique from the others. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just saw it as, as Doc selecting people precisely to do a job and not be loose cannons, which nobody else in the movie was a loose cannon per se. They just fired when fired upon basically. Well, and that, that acted as the vehicle in the story was that typically that you're right. Like doc usually picks people who he feels can complete the job in a way that he wants it to be done. And that's why you saw the fireworks go off later on because Jamie Foxx was making decisions that were basically upsetting the plan. Right. So, um, Moving on to Baby, uh, the the look of Baby had a total like retro 60s vibe, I thought, but it was kind of mixed with like a millennial current day look, Yeah, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. It reminded me actually of when you said you you watched Man from Uncle or The Man from Uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, did it, I, I felt like that, that film probably took place somewhere in the 60s. Yeah, for sure. Um, but da da da. Yeah, the, the the overall aesthetic of Baby though was a kind of a hybrid that blends perfectly with the music selection, visual style, editing, so on and so forth. Um, all of those different elements, however, that I felt like they they blended harmoniously together, and I think that that was one of the the film's strongest suits. Really, is just just the the way that they were very pragmatic about how each character looks based on like what music is being played and just the visuals and that sort of thing. I I just, I I really appreciated that. The love interest too was 
palpable and genuine, I thought, just between Lily James and uh, Ansley, you know, just just yeah. Baby and, and was, uh, what was her name? In the- Deborah. Deborah, yep. Yeah, both uh, Baby and Deborah. I mean, just, just, I absolutely love it when you see that in a film where the chemistry just comes across so naturally and you're rooting for them to get together. You want yeah. them to hang out and do things. And I just felt that that was taken to 11. I think that uh, it goes with what your wife was talking about in Wonder Woman, which we talked about in the last episode, mm-hmm. where, you know, if they just did a lot of very high chemistry scenes, but not necessarily jump into the sack. Right, right. That would have played a lot better with characters. And I was thinking, no, that's like spot on. And I, and I was hoping for that in this movie, and they gave me that. Yeah. Um, there, you know, every, every little smooch was a great smooch, oh. you know? And and Hollywood was giving them the excuse of, okay, here's the open door. We're going to give this to you. Sure. And then the dude, I mean, baby's a gentleman. He said no. And and, he, and it's there's no love scene in the movie. I think yeah. that's fantastic. Well, and Lily James is just absolutely adorable. Oh, playing she is. the dream girl effortlessly. And I mean, I, just the man. way she smiled at him, you're just yeah. like, oh man. Yeah, he's he, he is putty in her hands and now. Not just that, but the way she, she, she spoke to him was just yeah. genuine. She was very authentic. I mean, she, yeah, I, I wanted to hear when he called her up at work that uh-huh. day. He was like, I just want to hear your voice. I'm like, Oh man, I, uh, <laughs> I want to hear her voice too. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, my long distance relationship where we only have the phone. I'm like, I just want to hear your voice. But the way her voice was, like, Oh, okay, baby. Yeah. Like, she yes. rocked that, that Atlanta <laughs> Southern accent. Yeah. yeah. That was really nice. Um, yeah, just thinking about about her in the film. I actually talked to my wife about her, and apparently she plays Cinderella in the the live action film, which I have not watched. Cool, as well as some other films, and and she was just like, oh yeah, yeah, every film she's freaking adorable. She's just so sweet and cute and everything else, and so she could totally see that. I think your wife would like this movie. I do too. I showed her the trailer last night because I was I, I was kind of. Uh, hesitant at first. I was kind of apprehensive. And so I just kind of at some point just went over to her and I was like, Hey, do you want to see the trailer to this just to see what you think? And so I, I showed her, she said, yeah, I'll check it out. And so I played it for her. And at the end of it, I think she is interested in possibly checking it out. I don't know if she wants to wait until it's available on like Amazon prime or Netflix or whatever, or if she wants to go to the theater and check it out. But I think by the end of it, I think she definitely liked the music. Yeah. Um, which but I mean, who wouldn't? I think it's just it, it's a, it's a nice couples film. I mean, it's got romance. It's got enough romance in it that yeah. both you know men and women would like it. And the music, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, the music everyone's gonna like. Yeah. Uh, the last note I have on here regarding the cast um, is the relationship between Baby and Joseph, who is his foster dad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Came across as natural and genuine, um, which is refreshing for me as. Personally, I haven't seen the dynamic of a white son and black father relationship in cinema before. Right. I can't think of any other movie. You could really feel the various attributes of a parent-son relationship, you know, just like the yeah. the love, the caring, accountability, the kind of teasing, poking right. fun at each other, yeah. kind of father-son thing. I, I just loved it. I thought that was one of the, the stronger pillars of the film really was that relationship. I, I look forward to every time he was interacting with yeah, him. It was me too. super cool. Yeah. It, one thing that came to mind was that, that last scene in guardians of the galaxy. Oh yeah. He yeah. may have been your father, but I he wasn't your daddy. Loved that. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I felt that with this movie only because, you know, you see, 
you see baby reflecting back on his mom and dad fighting and whatnot, yeah. and they died at a very yeah, while well, he was very at a, at a very young age. And so uh, since then, he has this foster parent who right. loves him and cares for him. Yeah. Um, well, they, and, and it's reciprocated back and forth. Right. I mean, it's just back and forth. And I, I really did appreciate the fact that his foster dad was deaf. Yeah. Because it played directly into the notion that Baby's link to his parents are his earbuds. It's his iPod because that's what he was listening to and, and you know using when they got into that car crash. Yeah. And so that's that's that is the one link that he has. It's almost in, in a way like we said, Guardians of the Galaxy, where um, Star Lord has his his Walkman. It's like mm-hmm. his one link yeah. to home yep. essentially. Yep. And so it was interesting seeing that setup between him and, and his foster dad and how he learned sign language and just I, I, the whole thing was yeah. refreshing to me. And the thing about that too is uh, I think they gave us just enough to really appear, appreciate it and value it yeah. without going over the top because every time they were together, it was something special. Yeah, very much so. Moving on to the plot. Mm-hmm. The plot I felt was pretty simple in that it, you know it's, it's a heist yeah. movie. It's a heist love story. But having said that, it it works due to the interesting characters and the frantic pacing of the film. And yeah. it had it, it almost had a snatch. If you and, yeah, and for, for those sure. who are listening, Snatch is one of my all time favorite movies, a Guy Ritchie film. I didn't feel it, it was on the same level as Snatch, but it was in definitely in that same direction. And I think just the who's who and that sort of thing, I think really helped kind of provide that wrapper around what is essentially a simple plot. Yeah. I think it was kind of a style over substance with the plot in yeah. a way where the, where the plot's been tried and tried again. However, because there's so much attention to detail right, and there's so much style that yeah. you kind of, you, you just, you sit there and you're, you're entertained and you go, yeah, okay, it's a heist film. I get it. You know, those can be cool. They can be not so cool, but this one is definitely cool. Yeah. And I found the journey of the protagonist to be largely unpredictable with surprises at every turn. Yeah. And, and that just kept it fresh. I just, I just appreciated that. Surprisingly, I felt sympathy for the protagonist during the flashback parental fights. Yeah. And perhaps that's because I'm a, I'm a dad now, but seeing the look on, on the kid's face as he, you could tell he's just wishing that his parents were not fighting and you can see the toll that it was taking on the child. Everything, he just wants everything to be happy. Pretty yeah. much just like the, the will of every child pretty much. Uh, and, but just the way it was shot, you really didn't see that very much at all. And you didn't hear what the parents were fighting yeah. about or arguing about. It was, it was muted. And I'm glad they did it that way too. Oh, me too. Yeah. Very but, tasteful. But just, I think it was only like maybe 30 seconds worth that was mm-hmm. in the film, but it, it had weight. Yeah. Just watching that flashback and, you, and I just felt so bad for the kid just wanting his family his, to get along, his parents to love each other. And especially seeing how, them fighting led to their deaths Yeah, overall as well. It's scarring him in that way. Um, yeah, I really love the, the, the poetic aspects of the film in that sense where it's like he's in a car wreck that where he loses his parents. You would think that he would never step foot into a car again, but he does. And not only does, does he do it, but he's a driver and he does it in a way to be able to make money and, and that sort of thing. But, but it's almost like he's, He's being tortured, but with this vessel 
yeah. that it acts as a link to just him wanting to just be back with his parents again the instant that they were still alive. Right. I just thought it was all of those links that you see, whether it's the car or it's the music, that sort of thing, I thought was it was really fun. You know what I thought of? Um, not necessarily going off from that point, but um, it, w- with the music and many different perspective, perspectival views that we have of Baby, we're mm-hmm. almost seeing the world as baby views it yeah. with the music through his eyes. Oh yeah. Like in almost every scene, he's got his little earbud. In. And we'll, we'll get into that later. We'll, we'll talk about the music. I don't want to jump the shark here too much. I want to jump the shark. I love jumping the shark. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to script and the dialogue. As I mentioned earlier, Edgar Wright was the writer, which kudos to you. Good, sir. We definitely appreciated it. The script is one of the snappiest, cleverly written, lyrically oriented feast for the ears I've heard in quite some time. I mean, just if you think about the way things were said, it was in that kind of hipster kind of way. And it also, too, it complemented the music. Like whatever music was being played, there was also this this rhythm, which to your point, one of the, the most rewarding aspects of the film is he recorded all conversations and then he would take it back to his place and then make these really sweet mixes that just added a bunch of other stuff to it and it became sound art at that point. Speaking of sound, was it me or did they kind of time the gunfire with some of the beats in the music? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Everything. And it, Okay, so <laughs> we keep going to music here. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll just talk about the no, music. Okay, now. I'll just do we'll it. We'll just do it. We, we keep flirting around it. Uh, so every sound effect... I think almost, if not all sound effects and voices, just all sound in that movie directly complemented the music, whether it was in a percussive state or right. a har- harmony state, something, or even, even a counter melody. Everything was meticulously put in place to the point where you, you some, some people, they may just be able to pick out certain parts here and there, but just from an editing standpoint, that was a treat for the ears the whole time. Yeah. I mean, whether it was a door closing, uh, someone brushing a, um, something off the floor or uh, someone walking down the sidewalk or, or the windshield wipers moving in a certain way. Yeah. Michael Jackson actually was, was just a master at that. He would sample a bunch of different things and place it into his songs and you'd have to really listen for it, but you would hear a lot of different things that just by themselves would seem kind of random almost, <laughs> but then pu- you put them all together and it's like, wow, it's like a symphony of sound art. It's, right. it's just terrific. But the, the music selection too was just, <laughs> you could tell that it was a throwback a bit to the sixties, of course, but, but it had a nice myriad of, of songs that were also from the seventies. You had some modern stuff as well. I'm actually going to bring it up here just to list the the tracks. Give me just a second. Oh, I think everybody, while you're doing that, I, I think the music, uh, I, I like the camaraderie around the music. And I think that either, you know, good music does not age. And I was glad that they didn't just use modern pop music like a lot of very hip and blockbuster movies use. Or maybe it ages like a fine wine. It does age like a fine wine. Brewed at 8.45 in the morning with a slight <laughs> salty breeze. Oh, my. <laughs> but yeah, you had Bell Bottoms, um, you had Harlem Shuffle, Smokey Joe, Let's Go Away, B-A-B-Y, Cashmere, 
neat, 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 easy, Deborah, Deborah, of course, those are the two yeah. songs that yeah. were, were referenced in the film. Bongolia, uh, The Edge, Tequila. Tequila! <laughs> Hocus Pocus, Intermission, Radar Love. Radar Love. Uh, I got some Barry White goodness, the Never Never Gonna Let You Go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never Gonna Let You Go. Uh, Brighton Rock, Know How, Easy. I mean, there's just so many. I, I'm actually skipping over a couple of songs in here, but there are 30 songs in total yeah. in, throughout the Baby Driver soundtrack. So I'm thinking about possibly picking that up. I actually found the the track that they used in the trailers, which is the... Um, uh, actually, let me bring that up too while we're talking about it. It's it's a, a, a remix of Nowhere to Run. Ah. And it's by Boga, mm. um, which we will play a little bit of later on just uh, to, to signal things out, just, just to wrap things up. We'll, we'll give a little love with that. But yeah, I mean, just, just overall, the, the music had just a lot of great drum percussions. Yeah. It wasn't just your standard boom, boom, yeah. You know, it actually had just a wonderful arrangement of yeah. different types of uh, percussion there. And it's just a new way of, of uh, reliving and re-enjoying the music too, because if they put all that, those the bass sounds and, and uh, all the percussion and the brass and whatever's in there, then uh, today's modern you know, MP3 and CD players and lossless sounds are just going to yeah. reproduce it that much better. I did like how Baby said he had an iPod for pretty much every mood. That was, was cool too. Yeah. I loved how yeah. like he had multiple pairs of sunglasses yeah. and multiple iPods. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, I mean, again, you're just kind of seeing the world through his eyes with all the music. You know, I thought of one scene going back to the script. I know I'm, I'm backtracking here. That's okay. One thing I didn't really care for, I'm being critical and, and this is just a- You critical? No. <laughs> this is just a, a small detail, but when Doc said, or when he, when they were going back and forth about, you know, just guy mental, uh -huh. uh, you know, and, and that whole thing with the tendonitis. Yeah. I think that could have been scripted better because a, a, it did introduce why he does what he does. At the same time, that you just were given the, uh, this is why baby is good at being a driver is because he has tendonitis and he has to get rid of the hum in his ear and therefore he listens to music. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's a great driver. I thought, Oh, is that every drifter and every great race car driver? They have tendonitis in their ear and they listen to music. That's why they're good. I mean, you know, I wanted to know why, I mean, obviously this kid, you know, had spent a lot of time probably by himself. That's why he was very quiet, antisocial. And he, you know, learned. Well, he's just dealing with a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, he's dealing with a lot, but they just didn't reference how he was a good driver. From a psychological standpoint, the music and driving a car is his coping mechanism. Uh -huh. that, that is how he's able to cope with the loss in, in his life. Mm -hmm. And I think that meeting Deborah in the film was a cure for that. I, I think if I remember correctly, when he didn't have his his earbuds in his ears and he was just out there, you could hear that hum and the drum that like what Kevin Spacey was talking about. There was always that there, and then but then it went away when his earbuds went in. However, any scene that he was with Deborah, if I remember this correctly, the hum went away. It was it actually fixed itself as a result. So worth uh, worth noting about that. Yeah. 
Um, I just wish there was more story to show how he learned what he learned with the driving. You know, one of the other things I forgot to mention um, going back to the plot segment was that I thought it was so brutal at the end of the film when um, John Hamm fires his gun right next to his ears. Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about a way to really just zing it back at him for, for him losing his love. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, wow, that was, that was intense. You know what I enjoyed too? Um, I'm backtracking a little bit, but it goes to the whole deaf. Uh, We're just all over the map. <laughs> so much to talk about the movie. I know. Uh, I like how they, how the character um, or his uh, stepfather reached to feel the speaker. I mean, when it was playing the music yes, and he could see baby's nonverbal communication uh-huh. and he's like, Oh, well, who's the girl? And uh-huh. he's like, this is Deborah. I love that scene. Well, and once again, it's just that connection yeah. that, that the foster father had with yeah. baby. And, and it was just cool how like he, he didn't have to spoon feed him that, Hey, yeah. he met a girl. He, he could tell he yeah. knew. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you notice he did the same thing, like when his hearing was still impaired, in the in the vehicle, he uh, baby put his yeah. hand down on yeah, the speaker as well, sure. and I, I don't know. Once again, it's that's that that poetic quality to the film. Yeah. It's just that return to certain things that I thought was cool. Cinematography. Ah, oh, that's one of the best parts about the movie. Yes, the cinematography had a raw electric undercurrent that complemented the pace of the overall film. In my opinion, Bill Pope, who was the the director of photography. Um, he has also worked on the matrix trilogy, Spider-Man two, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which yeah, was an, another right. Edgar Wright film. So you could tell that they, they teamed back up again, men in black three and team America world police among <laughs> others. So he's, he's got a lot of, of really well-known cherished films under his belt, got quite but the repertoire, the repertoire yes. but yeah, I loved how, the, the close attention was paid to reflections. Did you notice that? Like, like it, whether it was the, the car glass or even the paint job or other aspects of, of like the, like say the, the iPod, um, there were a lot of, of attention paid to just like, if he pulled up to the diner, you saw like these, these streaks of red or, or like burnt orange neon from the sign that was going across the window. And it, I don't know, it just, it, it subtly played into, um, just the a zoom sensation of, you know, just driving fast and the pacing and that sort of thing. But I love the raw aspect too. I love the fact of things had almost like a noir feel to them, but yeah. it wasn't black and white. It was in color, a lot of deep shadow work, a lot of cast shadows, a lot of uh, grunge textures. And I'm, I'm always a sucker for that sort of thing. But what, what are your thoughts? I like the, I like the long pans. Yeah. Uh, something that I've just noticed in, in many movies is the quick cuts. Cut here, cut. Cut every like two seconds the most. There's a cut. Just show me the guy walking and, and you saw a lot of scenes of baby walking and enjoying the music and you know you see him you know, like playing little air instruments every while, right, step right. into the beat. That's a long pan and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked that non-cut. Um, that, that actually took... 28 takes. That, that, if it's the one I'm thinking of, you may, yeah, it's the one where like they did not cut. It was like this, yep. this continuous shot. Yeah. yeah. I think they ended up, I have it written down in uh, the trivia coming up here, but okay. Um, yeah. I think, I believe if I remember correctly, it was somewhere around 28 takes. Yeah. Which I, I don't know how, how, I mean, I don't, I don't know a lot of this stuff, but I don't know if that's a lot of takes for one scene or if that's less takes for one scene. 28, I, you know, who knows? I have no idea. I think it depends on the director and, and the, the scene situation. But the fact is, is that they have to get, once again, all of the, the actions 
synced up to the song that they're going to play. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I liked also the, uh, with the car chase scenes, uh-huh. just the, the pan they did with, uh, you know, if it, it, they didn't have a whole lot of close ups, which I appreciated. I don't need to see the big close up of the license plate or the bumper getting really close. Mm-hmm. I know that it's, it's skill. You know, yeah. I know there's skill there. But to see the car, wah, you know, you know, whip across the screen, and then you stayed there as the car took off, but you still saw that angle, and maybe you know your your perspective rose up a bit. I like that stuff. Yeah. Those long takes, and those those sweeps here and there, or when he was in that uh, what was it, like a Chevy Tahoe or something like that. Something what was it Escalade? Escalade Tahoe SUV that something. black Chevy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then they he, larger he, vehicle. He drove up the embankment, and that we went, was awesome. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. So. Much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Or, or the scenes when they were strategizing the next heist and you saw a baby there and you see his fingers, you no know, thumbing them with the yeah. music and, and you kind of got close. I felt like I was a part of the group. Yeah. You know, there was different, different, I don't know what the, what the word is. I'm not in the industry, but there's different aspects of the cinematography that they weren't the same in the entire film. Kind of like in star Wars, you have to see the underbody of the, uh, the transform flying across in uh-huh. slow motion. They use tons of different camera angles and sweeps and different skill to capture the movie, depending on the mood. Yeah. Well, and, and the framing of course was, was pretty fun. Just like to your point, they had a lot of fun getting the, the different angles of the car shots, you know, racing through the cities and, and even the shots of the characters too. One, one of my favorite shots was when baby was trying to sneak out and ditch everybody and, and run off with his love interest there was a, a shot of Jamie Foxx who was acting like he was sleeping. He was in the foreground and he, he had almost complete shadow on his face. You saw just enough detail. And then you saw baby kind of more in the background out of focus, trying to get out of there. I thought that was a really well lit shot. I thought it was super cool. And also the, the elevator shots too, I thought were fun. I love, yeah, I love fun, how yeah. Kevin Spacey was always in the front and center <laughs> yeah. and there's all this nonsense going yeah. on behind him. You know, yeah. and he's just sitting there dealing with it. Um, what did you think of how Kevin Spacey's character came full circle and all of a sudden really saved baby and Deborah? Um, I, I think it was over too quick. Okay. Honestly, I, I you want to see some, you want to see Kevin Spacey's character get mutilated a bit more as he was no, protecting I them. I don't want to see him get mutilated. I liked him as a villain. I, I, I wanted to see him. I don't know. I knew that was that was that may be the case towards the end, um, but I wanted to see him live. Okay, or maybe escape somehow. Maybe crawl off. You know, um, there was redemption in the fact that he did sacrifice himself. Yeah, for sure. And it's like the ultimate yeah. sacrifice. And and I saw that. I just thought that okay, this guy's a a mob boss or a crime lord. You know, it. it I think he would have something else figured out, mm-hmm. a way of of escape or a way of like Plan B if everything goes to crap. You know, this is what I'm going to do, um, which I think, I, I think honestly, he knew it was going to go to crap. I mean, he arranged for this big weapons drop off deal to happen. And then that wasn't the case. And he's reading everybody's eyes as he's questioning what, what the scenario was. And he's I think very he, careful. Very, he's very careful. Yeah, planner. Very, yeah. And I think he knew everybody was lying to him at the same time. Uh-huh. Just so just for him to not have a plan B of escape. I thought, eh, A, I wanted to see him live and B, I thought it was just it was cool to see him sacrifice himself for baby because there definitely was that connection there. And it made me think that all the threats that he gave him earlier on were just 
superficial to get baby to stay with him. Mm-hmm. Like he probably wasn't going to go out and kill his girlfriend. Well, like you said, I think that there are parallels to guardians of the galaxy volume two yeah. with regards to, um, star Lord. And, um, what was his, I totally forgot the, the whistle guy, the whistle area. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but uh, Yanu, Yanu. Thank you. Yeah. Just, just being able to, you could tell that there was a bit of that. There's a lot of threats going back and forth. Although I do believe that Kevin Spacey's character would have acted those out. I think he was a bit more hardcore than Yondu was. Yeah. So I think for, for the ending of him, I think I would have liked to have seen him go out with a bit more of a bang. Like it was cool that he, you know, busted out the shotgun and he was taking people out. But I, I really would have liked to have seen a bit more before it, his time was up. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the ending for a second? Sure, we can talk about the ending. So, the first two halves of the movie, I would, I, I are a treat. Yeah, you know, they're just I, all everything we're talking about has been really, really positive for a lot of the most part, right? But I thought that after the the second half, end of the third, and like the the third, the three quarter, I thought was a lull. I thought that's where they were a bit struggling with the story. You know, you didn't see much more character development. Um, I didn't really care. I just didn't care for it. And then, and, and, and not the very, very end, but leading up to the end, like leading up to the, the very last part, I thought that the death of Don Ham's character was kind of drawn out. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, I, you know, like I just said, I wanted to see something different with, uh, Spacey's character. And you know, who I wanted to see come back in for some reason. I wanted to see the, 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 the villain who was almost the bully in the beginning. Oh yeah. It was, isn't he, isn't he in the Avengers? Isn't he a, ba- a bad uh, one of the bad soldiers in the Avengers? I, I've seen that bad guy somewhere soldiers. before. Yeah, like or in Captain America. No, I don't know. I have to look him up, but I recognize him from somewhere. No, anyway. you're thinking of uh, John Bernthal, I believe. He he uh, was in the Walking Dead um, TV show. He was also in the Wolf of Wall Street. Maybe that's where I saw him with Leonardo DiCaprio and crew. Anyway. I kind of wanted to see him come back only because we saw, or he gave us a big part of the, of the background for, for baby uh-huh. and uh, his had, mighty return. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to see him come back for some reason. I don't know. I was kind of, I, I was glad that he was gone. I, I felt like he's, he fulfilled his, his role and, and that was it. And it just, I think it would have been too easy to go back to him. Yeah. But I, I think perhaps if there was, like I said, if there was perhaps some more of uh, Kevin Spacey involved, right. something like that, that, that would have been cool. But I, I, at the same time, though, going back to my initial comment, I do think that John Hamm's character was a glimpse into the future of what Baby would have become had he stayed on this path. Yeah. And I think Edgar Wright was aware of this. And again, I could be totally wrong, but I'm just, I'm venturing a guess here. But I think that was intentional in the movie where his love was taken away from him and he could identify that baby was in love with Deborah and they had this, this huge thing going for each other. And as a result, just the betrayal, just the, just what was going on, just be having that bond of both being drivers at that age and then moving on from there. It, it went back and forth. I do, I do agree though that there could have been something else that could have been added to it, just because it, it became too tunnel vision. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 
but again, this is just us critiquing it, like nitpicking certain yeah, things here there, and there. there. There was definitely something missing. I mean, we were already talking about we wanted one more driving scene towards the end. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I just think they kind of left us in a lull in that part. Yeah. However, the very end was exquisite. I think that they did. Oh my gosh. I mean, it yeah. played, it almost came full circle with the good ending that you wanted. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see baby fantasizing about what he wants to do and yeah. he just wants to get away from this life. And have, she is so cute. Yeah, she is. Um, and love that, the smile. Man, that fa- just the fantasy of, of her dressing up in that kind of sixties style. Yeah. Once again, the sixties. Yeah. And, and I, and I see him, I see baby seeing Lily, not Lily. Good grief. Uh, Deborah, <laughs> um, Technically, you're not wrong. Yeah. That is Lily. <laughs> yeah, they're one of the same. Um, seeing Deborah uh, as 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 a as he did his mom sure. from back then. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Just seeing her in those '60s clothes. Well, and, once and again, too, in the car, and I think that's what drawn what what drawn what drawn him to her in the first place was the fact that she came into work singing. Yeah, and his mom was a singer. Yeah. You know, once again, there is that connection that's there. So, yeah, yeah a lot, lot of uh, pains to put that together. And I think that it just worked beautifully. And actually, so. you, you kind of bring up a point because our mom used to sing. Mm. And there's going to come a point, Russ, where time takes us all, you know? And I, I was like, mm, I, do I have a, you know, a tape or some recording of mom singing? You know, I, I started thinking about that in the, in the movie. I thought, oh, my heart's kind of fluttering a little bit, you know? I loved how the cassette case for the mom yeah. track was gold. Yeah. It was, it was the was, only gold cassette case. And that's out the of first thing I saw when you mm-hmm. opened up the case. I want to, I want to go back and see all the titles that he put yeah. with all those cases. Yeah. But yeah, when you open it up, that's the first thing you saw was mom. Well, let's transition in here to some Baby Driver trivia, courtesy of IMDb. Actually, can I say one more point, Rose? Sure, go ahead. I, I love the court scene when everybody's standing up for Baby also, and they're, they're, they're just attesting to his good character. Uh-huh. And the whole entire movie, it makes you think back to all the good things you may have missed that Baby was doing, like the, the nodding. Or a the, recap. Recap, yeah. And anyway. he still gets 25 years. And he still gets with parole. A heartless judge. Yeah, I know. But I'm glad they didn't kill him in the end. I thought, oh, crap. They're going to they're gonna shoot. Don't shoot, baby. Don't shoot him. Don't kill him. Yeah. And they did. So that was good. So let's see here. Going back to baby driver trivia. Jamie Foxx would often stay and watch Kevin Spacey's scenes, even when he wasn't in the scene, which I thought was interesting. I think Jamie Foxx has got kind of a, a history going of just each film he's been on, he has major respect for a lot of the actors that he's working with and he wants to be able to glom on and perhaps learn some additional tools of the trade, so to speak. John Hamm's role was written for him oh. and is the only actor from the first table read to be the, in the final film. How about them apples? Yes. In an introduction from Edgar Wright, it is revealed that there was no CGI or green screen used to film the car chase sequences. Nice. The driving is all practically done, which I'm like, yes, I love that. In a day and age where there is far too much CG, and especially when it comes to like chase scenes, like high scenes and yeah. that sort of thing, I want to see all practical effects. I want to see some crazy, amazing stunt driver yeah. behind the wheel just turning and burning and just doing these things are just like, wow, I had no idea yeah. you could do that with a car. I, I love practical effects. I think there's just an artistry that's been lost with all the CG stuff. I yeah. mean, that, that's artistic too, but when it's practical, man, that's a, that's a whole different element. CJ Jones, who plays Joseph, the foster dad. Yeah. In the, in the movie, he plays a deaf character. He's, he actually is deaf in real life. Wow. 
So I thought, I was like, okay, well, that that's cool. So then ba- the, the actor who played Baby had to actually learn some sign language. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Worried he would lose communications link with his actors or cameras, Edgar Wright had himself strapped into the shooting car rather than being in a follow car. John Hamm joked that he had to perform while looking at a sunburnt Muppet flopping about. (laughs) The poor director, you know, being in the director's chair, it's like you just have this vision. And of course, you're just passionate about getting it realized. And so you're willing to just put yourself, I mean, even from a photographer standpoint, if you're not in film, but you're a photographer, you're trying to get quote unquote the shot and you're willing to just do anything to try and get it to happen for you. And that includes just (laughs) looking ridiculous in different poses and positions and that sort of thing. So I thought that was worthy of mention. This movie is the first Edgar Wright film to be shot in the United States. Ah, yeah. I believe Edgar Wright is British. If I'm not mistaken. And actually, I'm going to double check that to make sure I am not misquoting that. <laughs> it's important to be accurate or acute. <laughs> <laughs> One of those. Oh, yep. He's an English director. Woo-hoo! All right. Kudos. You're not going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> My credibility is still intact. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Okay, let's see here. Edgar Wright had been sitting on this idea for a film for many years. He first used, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, his first use of it was a music video he directed for British electronic duo Mint Royale, which I actually am a fan of. I'm a, I'm a big Mint Royale fan. And their track, Blue Song. The video stars Noel Fielding as a music-loving getaway driver for a group of bank robbers, one of whom is Wright's regular Nick Frost. A clip from the video is featured in the film, when channels are being flipped through on the television in Baby's apartment. I thought that was Mm. kind of a nice little touch. This film is named after Simon and Garfunkel's song, Baby Driver, from their 1970 album, Bridge Over Troubled Water. The song appears in the film during the end credits. The tracking shot in the beginning of the movie, here you go, Steve, the shot that you love, where Baby Gets Coffee took 28 takes. The 21st take is the one that was used in the film. Sweet. Yeah. Which, how old is he in the movie? He's about 21, I think. Oh, I'm, no, I think he's older than that. Yeah. I think they, they made him look younger, okay, but yeah. I think the actor is probably a bit older. You can MDib it if you want. <laughs> the tra-da-da-da. A song is played in the background of nearly every scene in the film. Also, whenever a song plays in 4-4 rhythm, a shot almost always cuts in one of the four beats. And that goes back to the, the incredible editing job that they did. When Baby is flipping through the channels near the beginning of the film, several lines of dialogue from different movies can be heard. You are so beautiful or we're partners. There's nothing that matters to me more than our friendship. Each one of these lines appears later in the film as a line of dialogue. Angela's 23 years old. Oh, so you were pretty close. Yeah, not bad. Then depending on when they actually finish the film. (laughs) 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 There are multiple references to the Back to the Future trilogy with Kevin Spacey's character named Doc, Back to the Future, and John Bernthal's character is named Griff, Back to the Future 2. True. Even casting the actor Flea, who played the character Needles in, back, in the Back to the Future parts two and three for a small role in this yeah. film as Eddie. Yeah. 
The character Doc in the film also mentions a past job called The Spirit of 85, which was the year the first Back to the Future was back released. to 1985. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You can tell he's a big fan of yeah. the Back to the Future. Like, who wouldn't be? Exactly. Who wouldn't be? Exactly. It's one of the best trilogies ever. Ever. But, but it was cool to see Flea in a film again. The guy just never ages. He looks the same. Plastic surgery. <laughs> or he's just that awesome. <laughs> This film drew inspiration from The Driver of 1978. There you go. Raising Arizona, 1987. Okay. The Blues Brothers of 1980. You don't say. And Riding Bean, which I've never heard of from 1989. Mm. The car seen at the start of the film, which is a red 2007 Subaru Impreza. Which is, they got the exhaust right on the Pre- Impreza, by the way. Oh, did, I'm it, glad did, did it meet did. your approval? Yeah. No, did it, it meet your it, expectations? It I, I, they, a lot of movies, they use these canned sound effects. The WRX sounded like a WRX. Ah, good beans. Here we go. Uh, The car seen at the start of the film, the red 2007 Subaru Impreza, is the same model of car seen at the ending of Edgar Wright's 2007 film, Hot Fuzz. Sweet. (laughs) A little carry on there. I like it. After the first bank robbery, Griff, played by John Bernthal, jokes, if you don't see me again, it's because I'm dead. His character is never seen again in the film. Ah, I, I, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The numbers on Baby's prison jumpsuit at the end of the film is the release date of The Driver, 1978. Ah, snap. <laughs> and last but not least, during the post office scene, the teller at the counter quotes Dolly Parton, everybody yep. wants happiness, mm-hmm. nobody wants pain, mm-hmm. but you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. Yeah. The final heist begins in the rain. When baby is released from prison, a rainbow is visible in True. the background shot. Ah, that's so cool. That's yeah. so awesome. I mean, stuff like that. You got to go back and see the movie a second time and then you're going to appreciate it even more than the exactly. first time. I'm just like, yeah, give me some more of that. Love those details. So just to wrap things up, how many stars would you get? I know you gave it a grade, a letter grade early on, but how would that translate into stars? Um, so I think that would be, um, are we going five or are we going 10? Out of five. Five, out five, of five is like the maximum that you can go. So, well, you can go to like, like for like, I can think of a much better number than five, Russ. Like for instance, like we gave Guardians of the Galaxy volume two, 4.5 stars. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I, I would say a solid four. I mean, I, th- I was thinking like three and a half, three and three quarters, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, three and three quarters or four. I mean, I, I would probably say a four. If I was being critical, I'd say three and three quarters. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I give it four stars. Yeah, definitely worth seeing uh, in the theater, I would say. Um, I mean, for sure when it comes out to, to, to video or video, to DVD. <laughs> when to, I, to Betamax. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes out to uh, VHS, definitely pick it up. It's going to be great. <laughs> Uh, no, but I mean, I definitely want to pick it up. Um, there, I think it's gonna be better actually. I mean, well, you know me, I like seeing things with, in higher res than the, oh, yeah. the theaters can produce. So, uh, I definitely want to pick it up. Very cool. Well, I think that wraps it up. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this wonderful episode to end things appropriately. We're going to sign off with a remix of nowhere to run by Boga. And I suppose until next time, We're going to bid you adieu and say happy gaming. Vroom, vroom.